Hello, and welcome to The Road to Open Science. I'm your host, Sandy Fayez. This time, we explore some of the possible solutions for bringing open science closer to the mainstream practices in academia. This is our sixth episode. If you haven't heard the previous podcast, you might want to check them out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. I talked to two people who have worked on some of these solutions for many years, outside and inside academia. My first guest is Marlene Sticker, the director of the Wach Society. The Wach is a public research institute that looks into emerging technologies and how technologies could be used democratically as instruments of social change. I'm Marlene Sticker, I'm director of Wach, which is a public research institute. And we are looking into the, the new emerging technologies, the influence on society, but also how we can shape and well, more um, democratize these technologies. We're uh, celebrating our 25th anniversary coming year. So um, it's already very interesting to see that, that, that we finally people understand what we're doing. It's sort of like a new momentum uh, that people understand that technology is not neutral, uh, that it has a bias, cultural bias in it, and that it has a lot of influence on our society. So the combination of society, technology, and the arts, what the, the combination that we make, gets more uh, attention. And I think we are in a position to have more impact on policy making, on practices in different um, domains, uh, showing alternatives. Uh, yeah, so I think, the, and, and the, we need a real big awareness of technology. Um, so we hope we can play that role as well. So on the board, I can read that uh, the question is, can open source save the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you see the relation between the Wach Society and its activities and the open science movement in the general terms? Well, we started back then in 25 years ago by launching the whole notion of um, open data, raw, readable data. Uh, So we went as a data liberation front. We were uh, going after data in in cities and in organizations, uh, in libraries, and so on. Um, So we we have also been part of the Creative Commons movement in the Netherlands, together with Knowledge Land and the Institute for Information Rights in the University of Amsterdam. So we've been very much involved in also the whole market around information. And we have been uh, instrumental in launching also open design as a principle. And and, and of course, we're part of the open source and open uh, hardware movement. And we believe that by opening up knowledge and information and the data and the tools and the technology, uh, it helps to uh, democratize knowledge and technology. And uh, we need that uh, in, a, in order to enable other people to participate. And I believe that um, open in this case is not just giving other, like open access in universities, n- not only means that you give access to other people of university, but also finding ways to open it up to, the, to society at large. And that a lot of the tools that are being developed should be, since most of them have been developed with public funding, taxpayers fund money, it should be open by default uh, or public by default, which means one step more than only open. Because you need also to, 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 um, to contextualize 
the information. If you just put it on GitHub or somewhere, it doesn't. A lot of people would not know how to deal with it. So I think the mo movement around open access and open source and open hardware and so on is moving into the direction of public code and public knowledge, which implies that you also have an organization that helps people to to relate to the information, to the knowledge, to the data. So this year we had in the government uh, uh, agreements the terms open science mentioned several times that this is going to be the norm. What's your general take on the recent developments on, uh, let's say, proliferation of the term open science? Do you see it positive? I think it's very positive because open and science together, that means something. So it's, it's, it's definitely um, um, a way to go. I'm only a bit hesitant because I think sometimes, like ethics and open, are now being used for practices that not, not are not truly open or truly ethical. So it, it's always a little bit a language game. So the moment something is called open, then it's being appropriated also by a lot of strategies to actually, uh, well, be a little bit open but not truly open. Can you give an example? Well, for, for if you call like, some of the open access initiatives are access uh, in, in a very limited form so you still need to have a, a sort of a license or you still it's it's within the the, the university uh, or acad academic environment so it's still in a very complicated relationship to the market and to to more extractive business models yeah maybe i can uh, drop the term the open innovation which also comes along with open science but also if you uh, also, when you read the, the policy documents at the EU level, there's a big portion of money set aside for open innovation. Open innovation um, in the context of a digital single market means something totally different, or open data, or data exchange, or all the kind of stuff that Europe is now working on, is, is, is in the context of a classical economic uh, environment, really different from open in the context of a commons uh, notion. And I think at the moment, since um, the digital single market is the, 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 the big driver uh, within the European Commission, it's very much cl classically oriented to the possibilities and, the, and the, the, the opportunities of companies. So then academia and knowledge is being seen as raw material for companies to be competitive. And I believe that we need this openness much more fundamentally as democracies. So you also need to be accountable uh, and not just, so open is not enough. And it's definitely not enough to think about it as a market-driven, money-driven, data extraction-driven, uh, 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 process. I think we have to come up with new notions of what is important for Europe and to make a really big difference to what the Silicon Valley or the China version is. So I think we need to reclaim and rethink what uh, market is and how it relates to commons. And I think if, if, if science wants to be recognized by society as something that is not just part of the big companies making their money, but also like real questions that we have to raise as humanity, um, then it ha should stick more closer to the notion of commons than to the digital single market uh, type of uh, argumentation. 
do we have the means of actually benefiting and turning the open innovation uh, governance into governance of commons at this moment? Well, I'm afraid there is not enough um, strategic insights at the moment in our the board of directors or the boards of or in in, in political environments. But I think this is the real question: is how can we uh, everything that we discover, which is about biotechnology, nano, uh, neuro, um, quantum, all that, all the knowledge that we there, we gain, should not be immediately being appropriated by business because maybe we don't want it to be part of a business model. Maybe we want it to be something else, like common knowledge. And but we ha- we some of the stuff that we are discovering at the moment. And the tools that we are developing uh, are, are have so many so many consequences that we have to think about how to regulate them. And at the moment, most of the instruments, the the the, the funding mechanisms for science is based on 50% of co-financing by companies, which means that already in the even in fundamental or sort of like the first the first step after fundamental research, the agenda is 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 defined for a big part, by the projects that are being co-funded by the industry, so that are in interest of the industry, which means that there is a lot of research not being done because there's no interest from the industry, because they can't appropriate the knowledge. So there is not enough strategy here. Definitely the structure that we have doesn't really help. So where does the structure come from? It's it's the financial uh, uh, instruments that, that are there for research. Uh, they're defined basically by politics. And then we have the funding bodies that are and mostly interpreting it very narrow. So the, maybe the space or the opportunities they have, they don't take because they think they're in line with what, 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 the, what the government wants. And then universities stick also into line because this is what, how, they, how they can um, make it happen. So at, at the moment, they're all stuck. Everybody's stuck in the same system. I think, um, for example, it's very difficult to uh, fund interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary research because it's not a defined area of science, which means there's no uh, structure to, uh, to, pub- to, to publicize, so you don't have any um, citations, so you, you, can't have, you, b- you can't build your reputation as a scientist. So this is really weird if it's about innovation. T- of course, there's no... This is new, so you, there should be another way to 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 enable uh, scientists to work in this transdisciplinary or interdisciplinary field. But again, the, the the whole structure to legitimize this kind of funding to science is based on all kind of rankings and all kind of structures around uh, uh, publications. So we, we, what we as Waag we have been developing the notion of public research. And public research is complementary to academia, to academic research, and complementary also maybe to to, to business, uh, where you say it's it, you you it, it's an open research paradigm where you include also the society in it. It's very much iterative, so it's a com- combination between fundamental and applied. So it's not either or, but it's it's like these are. You can build up your knowledge by iterating also in the practice. You can use some very um, um, speculative ideas, but then, try with, for example, by 
asking artists to, 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 to join you, you can come to another sort of approach and make it more open and, and, and approachable. Even the most fun fundamental science around quantum and, and artificial intelligence. So public research would be a much more open structure where you, where you have a full funding also for the participation of society. And so, yeah, we need this kind of new instruments. And who should start? It should be a joint effort, I guess. I think scientists should be much more articulated in asking for this and saying that they can do so specific interdisciplinary work because the, the, the funding structures are not supporting it. The funding body should be it should should so reinvent their the instruments and politics and government should uh, ask for this as well. I mean, university academia is also one sort of public and if I look into my university the number of people who really know commons or try to use commons in their practices are not that many. Uh, do you see as Vag your role also to enlighten the academia about these new ways or this public way of doing research? In in a European context there is a lot of a lot of possibilities to to engage with academia and bringing this public research in the context of the academic research. In the Netherlands, it's much more difficult. Yeah, so we, we have a lot of different ways that we do this. But the real practice that we have is in the European context, because the European programs are much more open, more, much more agnostic to who is actually part of the research and innovation. Do you mean that, for example, the funding agencies limit the number of applications that can be sent to certain organizations? Well, at the moment, the WAG can't be funded by NWO uh, because they don't consider us as a research institute. Where in Europe, they love love us because we are a research institute, but we have we bringing society in. Uh, so, um, so we can be co. Some some universities ask us to co-finance their research, which is really really weird. Because how do we exist then? So that's really weird. But this is how the instruments work at the moment. Have you tried to educate well, or transfer your experience with open data and public research infrastructures to universities so they can convert the current schemes of doing research? There is still huge freedom for them to adjust. Have you tried to uh, encourage or educate the universities, which are big public platforms, to adapt to these practices based on your experience? Um, but I think now I've, I've been asked to, uh, to be chair of the task force for science and technology in the 21st century of CESAR, which is all the, well, I think, 50 universities in whole Europe, technical universities in Europe. And so I actually said yes to this because I think it's quite a challenge for me in is to have all these professors and then me. But I, I said yes to this, uh, to be this chair, because I think by asking me, they show that they are opening up and that they, are, they understand that they can't think and talk about science and innovation in the 21st century without having somebody and some more people representing society in it. So that could be, uh, I don't know, uh, we will see what kind of influence that has, but it, it's definitely the, uh, showing and, and building this new agenda uh, for the long term. So you mentioned that there is the influence of the funding agencies and policies on the universities, but universities are huge organizations. I mean, they have a lot of resources and internally also a lot of smart people. 
And internally, these ideas of uh, communalism are quite old in the structure of academia. I started with thinking about how to regain the public notion of the internet, and, and because it started for a big part as a public space where people could act, uh, enter and, and add things, and then it became fully privatized and owned uh, by a few companies. And then I realized it's not the technology itself, it's the business models behind it. So we have to look at the business models and then you, you, you see that the business model of universities are, they, they, are, they, are need, a, they need a quantity, not quality, so they're not being funded, they're not being paid for quality, they're paid for quantity. Uh, if you look at research, then they, all the professors and their PhDs are using using the programs to get as much as many PhDs in. But as we just discussed, this is within the system. They have fifty percent co-financing from companies. So also everything is now um, being re regulated by the force of the market. And universities forgot that they actually are public institutions. And the government and politicians also forgot that they're public. Well, they're not forgot. I mean, they have been forced into the market. And there has been a lot of uh, struggling. But now the people that are ruling this, the, the universities, I'm afraid, are also believing in the system. Or don't know how to escape it. So I, I was at the, at the opening of the national year um, of the University of Amsterdam. And I didn't hear anything which is not in line with the classical idea how universities should be run. And I think also the technical universities are really happy to show that they're doing so good with companies and a little bit nice for society. So they, they, they don't know how to change their, their, their narrative or their, or their way of working. And at the same time, coming from... Uh, if you look now at the discussions about research in Europe it's you see terms like bring dignity back into the digital well a term like dignity is definitely something else than creates as many jobs as you as, as we need so the, we there is a change in language um, it's very early I'm, I'm very fresh uh, mission-oriented research being uh, this uh, being is now one of the terms that's being used which means um, that you that you think about innovation as something that you can guide, not just like it's it's possible, let's do it, but you have to think about where you want to go with the innovation. So these are all much more value-based uh, uh, terms around innovation. Um, and, and hopefully that will also, uh, we will find it also back into the how the institutions then start to operate but at the mo until now they all are nicely working together with the market uh, paradigm and we have to change it back to a commons paradigm and that will take time so do you think that the discussion around open science gives the universities this opportunity to change their models do you see that going that way and if you would give them a tip how to you know, turn the ship, which is very heavy, towards the direction. What would be your first or first couple of tips for the universities? Well, to, to totally rethink your strategy. So instead of um, thinking about yourself as uh, 
you're, you're to define yourself in relation to the market, to re- redefine your position towards the commons. And not just in saying we have nice knowledge that will end up in society, but as how can we, what is our role in shaping and creating the knowledge within society? Uh, as and society to see society also as a research environment, as a research community that can collaborate and work together with academia. So, uh, if, I think this is the basic thing. And if you don't know what the commons is, or you forgot it, or nobody told you, go and 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 uh, teach yourself. Um, we are now we are doing this commons mapping uh, in cities, uh, but you can also do this commons mapping within universities, of course. Like, what kind of commons do we still have? Uh, what are the strong points? How can we learn from peer-to-peer foundation? How we can learn from 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 the the the, the first and the second wave of commons initiatives in Europe, both in land, like like the classical uh, uh, commons of of resources and natural resources, as what can we learn from the the, the more the, the 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 digital resources around uh, or language? How do we share language? How do we think about households, economic households in other terms? So to really rethink the language that you're using and rethink the models that you're using. Can you give one of the examples of your current projects at the Wach Society, which could immediately benefit from universities accepting their roles in the commons and providing the information you need in your project in by opening up their resources? There is a project called uh, GeneCope, which is a project that we started based on some experiments. And we realized that when we now want to know something about our DNA, people use um, companies that, uh, somewhere, they, they send in some, some, some slime or material, and then they get some little report, and it costs you 100 euros, and then the company gains um, value with the thousands because they then own your DNA. So they're building these huge data banks around DNA. And there's you have nothing to say about it anymore. You have no clue what's happening there. So one of the really, really important things that we need is a commons around DNA data. And this is important for science of course, because that's the way you do science and you can find for, for whatever, for, for what either, uh, what kind of use you want. But it's also very important for, for individuals in society. So you don't want to have this kind of data ending up in the silos of Amazon. And if Amazon is entering the healthcare is, uh, system at the moment based on their domin- do- dominating uh, world position in data, they they can buy up everything. So we need very, very good regulated data commons, both for cities, but also on, on the on, on healthcare, on DNA. And this is so here is the the, the interests are totally aligned with each other. It's it's very important for scientists to have access to this data so they can do good good science. And it's in the interest of um, citizens and and sovereignty of of the individual. So I think this this could be a really great project together. I mean, we know that we can so that we can build the not just the Waag. There's a whole movement around these things, but here you can really find collaborations. You you build up a societal interface to it, and you have a, a research interface to this data. Thank you very much, Marlene Stig. 
That was Marlene Sticker, director of the Wach. You can learn more about their activities on their website waag.org. Marlene is suggesting to us that universities should learn to use the concepts of commons for governing the academic output and other common pool resources in the university. To dive deeper into what she suggests, I talked to Bianca Kramer. She works at the university library in Utrecht and is working on several open science projects, including one called the Scholarly Commons. They are looking at its guiding principles and what this can mean in practice for open science. My name is Bianca Kramer. I work at the University Library here in Utrecht, uh, doing lots of things on open science and research support. I'm involved in 411, which is un- an organization of librarians, publishers, researchers, people involved in developing technologies. And within that context, I've been working on a project called the Scholarly Commons, where we thought about, uh, we did a lot of thinking about how uh, what principles could govern the idea of a scholarly commons and what that could mean in practice for for science. And that also relates a lot to open science, of course. The, the way commons is often seen, it's like a collection of publicly available goods. And we think that's part of it, but we think important is also the way that people interact with those common resources. So for us, commons is um, like the resources, but also the principles that govern the use of those resources. So can you list these principles? Um, The main principles for us is the idea that uh, research should be open to anyone to participate in and the products of research should be open for anyone to use and reuse and there should be no systemic barriers uh, limiting either that participation or that reuse. Can you help us find the the barrier between market and commons and the government? That's an interesting one. I think that that comes back to if you look at, at the products of research, if that's in a commons, that means that it should not be owned by the market. It should also not be owned by the government, but it should really be free for anyone to use and reuse. How then you organize all these different actors, including the market, including the government, uh, including research, including society around that, I think that's a different question. And it, it should be so that there's no one party that has the definitive say over what happens. But they should all collaborate in making sure that the products are really open. Part of the reasoning behind it is that science is actually already using common resources. It are not just immediate resources which are in the library, but the background, the, the historical resources which have been put into the uh, libraries, into the books, into their common knowledge. These are actually common resources which people have access. And that I understand that this should be kept like this and also be emphasized that the newly produced knowledge is produced in a commons uh, environment and also governed like that. Where do you think, I mean, if we just very honest to ourselves as sort of researchers and people who work at the university, where do you think the actual bottleneck is in uh, people trying to, let's say, put their personal uh, sort of uh, motivations ahead of what is everybody almost agrees, which is good for the community. And what are their personal motivations? Uh, I mean, what comes all the time is career perspective, for example. I understand the career perspective comes. Recognition is another one. Attention to your work is another one. Also resources for doing new research is limited. And those are exactly, if, if those are the personal motivations, that's exactly where I think the threat of having everything 
open and public comes from, because then the fear is that you will not get that personal recognition, because you will not get other people can, can scoop you and can take that. If your personal motivation, on the other hand, is more like really more intrinsic, do you want to bring science forward? Then it might be a very different story. So I think that is how does the, the way the system currently works, how does that affect the personal motivations? So you think that it's not, we cannot reconcile the personal motivation with solving, uh, with, with governing science in general or scholarly publishing as a commons that oh, everybody should contribute to? No, no, no. I, th I think we can if, um, if those two are much better. If it's not so that for to get that, that recognition, it means that you have to focus on close. You have to focus on the high impact factor journals. You have to focus on that priority. But if you are valued for, um, for practices that are perhaps a bit closer to the motivation of producing science for the common good, then you might balance that more. So yes, I think it's solvable, but it has to change. Some things have to change in the way priorities are set and what is valued. So then um, on a personal level, I can say, well, I am a free uh, person. I can go and argue with my environment to give me this prioritization the way I think it should be correct. But then every person have to negotiate locally. If individual actors want to negotiate individually for the better good, it will have very little uh, sort of influence, uh, even institutional. So this is the discussion we have with open access yeah. that if libraries of the whole Europe individually want to negotiate with commercial publishers, they get very little results as we have seen in the past few years. And that's why we need, you know, a, an action, central action by funders, for example, to, to push forward for this deal to happen. So in terms of uh, setting the priorities right, where do you think this should start? Because the funders say that now this is academic practices, we should respect the academic practices, and the academic says, oh, these are incentives beyond my control, so I cannot change individually. So where do you think this, uh, this conflict will break? I think it will break if all the parties contribute to that, because you're absolutely right. If it's only up to individual researchers, they will bounce up to a wall and they, they will not get anywhere. And it, it's not fair to ask people to put, to put themselves out there like individually against a system that, that's against that. On the other hand, if we only m do decentralized, and if we, only, if we wait for institutions to take a role in that, or for funders to take a role in that, or for the system to magically change, then nothing will happen either. And the most important thing I don't, is I don't think we should wait for each other to make that move. And even if you think that anything you can do as a researcher is too small and won't happen, if a funder thinks that we cannot do anything because the academic community won't like it, then nothing will happen. If the institution thinks, yeah, we cannot do anything because there are institutions in America or Russia or China that do something different, then nothing will happen. But all these small steps together, I think, can get us somewhere. Back to the discussion we had with Marlin Sticker, what do you see the role of systems, seeds which are totally outside the the current academic sphere, but are interacting them through some interfaces that are interacting with the with the academics. What if we look more carefully into their practices and learn from them and let them sort of contribute more? Absolutely, absolutely. And that's why I think the, those systems in themselves are very valuable and good to look at, but especially where they interact with, with academia, because I think there's the opportunity also for academia to 
to well to broaden and to uh, um, to encompass those activities. And another suggestion she had, which I found very interesting, was that uh, maybe the first po- the first step for the academic world would be to just inventorize what they do already have as commons and put the label on them or you know clearly recognize them. You organize many workshops and teach in many of these workshops to various groups of people. Do you see a re- difference in reception among different audience? And if you see this difference, can you categorize that difference between uh, the reception for these thoughts on common scholarly publishing between different groups? I think the biggest difference is perhaps the way you approach this. If you approach this from a situation, okay, this is the current situation and we want to talk about openness, it's very easy for almost all audiences you are in front of to immediately come with all kinds of reasons why it can't be done or why it can't be done for them. It's a good idea, but I'm all for open access, but we have also experienced that if you start from a little bit earlier, if you start by asking people what their basic motivation is, why did they choose to go into science, for instance, and you start from that, and then you, t- you take to it, okay, what does that mean? What then what's important to you? Then you get a very different discussion. And my final question, how do you see the University of Utrecht developing in this direction at this point? I think we're at a very interesting point in time right now with the Open Science Program. That uh, there's a draft program that has that has goals that are partly very feasible because we're already working towards it, that are partly very ambitious. Uh, and currently now the governance structure is put in place. So I think we're in a very good position to uh, to move ahead. Which is also where I very much like to be part of. I like to see where that goes. Um, and I think it can go many ways. And what do you think the employees of the university in all factions of the university should do uh, with respect to this open science plan of the university? I think two things. Uh, be open. Be open to, to what it says and the possibilities that it offers because it is not planning, and I hope that will stay in the implementation, it's not planning to impose uh, requirements and mandates. But it's really when we go back to, to motivations and if you see science as a public good, really also meant as a way to promote that and to make that possible. So be open and at the same time be critical. Be critical that that is really going to help that way. Be also critical if it's it goes too fast. Make sure that force is heard. So be open and be critical. And I may add that also inform yourselves because not everybody yes. knows that, right? Well, thank you very much, uh, Bianca Kramer. You're welcome. Thanks to Bianca Kramer there from Utrecht University for taking the time to talk to me and share her thoughts. Thanks also go to Marlene Sticker, director of the Public Research Institute De Waag, for joining the podcast. This was the sixth and the last in this series of podcasts this year. We have covered various issues that impede a wider adoption of open science practices in the university by talking to academics from a wide range of backgrounds. I myself have learned a lot from the production of these podcasts. I hope you have also found them informative. If that is so, please share it with your colleagues or even better discuss about these issues with them. We are clearly in the transition period with respect to open science And the more we contribute to the discussion, the higher the chance of getting results that work better for our communities and science as a whole. The Road to Open Science podcast is made possible by the Utrecht Young Academy and with support of the Utrecht University Library. 
You can get in touch with us via our Twitter handle at sign R2OS podcast with an numeric two. Research for the podcast is from Marisa Moll and editing by Andy Clark. From me, San Lefias, thanks for listening. <laughs>